This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host Chad Hopkins. Happy summer, Chad! Yeah, today was my last official day of work. I clocked in this morning, and I don't have to clock in again until sometime in August. So, <laughs> I'm done. Oh, nothing makes me want to be a teacher like that sentence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I've got some vacation plans coming up soon that I'm looking forward to, and uh, I guess I can officially announce that I am sort of changing careers, but not... Uh, that. Careers is the wrong word. Changing positions. Uh, I'm at my school teaching orchestra this past year, and next year I will be teaching band, which is what I wanted to be teaching this whole time. So that is official, and I'm really looking forward to it. Had to say goodbye, quote unquote, to some of my students uh, since I won't be their teacher next year, but at least I'll still see them around the school. So that's awesome. Yeah, band has always been your your thing. You're a horn player. Um, orchestra's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love orchestra, but cool to do what you love and what you have been doing your whole life. That's awesome. Congrats. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So thanks for your patience with last week. Um, had a couple of weird health things that put me, uh, out of commission for a couple days, but we're fine. It's fine. Uh, we're back recording this week. Um, just skipping on over that (laughs) life happens. It does. It does. Yeah. We do have, uh, several new reviews. Um, many were just unmentioned from before. Sorry, we didn't forget about you. We just put everybody here together. Um, from iTunes, we have Super Crazy Radman, Trumpet Hero 94, who is a fellow band director of Chad's. Is that right? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know him. He's just also a band director. Oh, I see. Okay. Place. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Better Than Who, Jenny's Swedish fan, David Manheimer and Chi Town Mindy. So thank you all for uh, reviews on iTunes. We appreciate that. And lots of reviews on Facebook to catch up on as well. We've got Amy Perhatch, Melanie Campbell, Sarah Gallagher, Kayla Kleins, Stacy Peel, Jim Meyer, Kenneth Colbert, Courtney Persons, Josh Tudor, and Jesse Coleman. So we were a little bit behind on Facebook, but thank you all so much iTunes is a great place to review us and help spread the word, but Facebook's a great place to do that too. So thank you all so much for reaching out and taking the time to do that. And Patreon, thank you to Greg, Alex, and Elliot for your recent pledges. Uh, big, big week or two as far as Patreon went for us. Um, exciting to announce that we've officially hit our um, initial goal anyway of covering costs to put up the podcast so we're officially out of the red if you will (laughs) for um for doing a podcast so really really nice news um thank you all very very much for your support it's nice to um have people liking what we're doing and 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 backing us not only by listening but financially as well it means a whole lot yes it does it's nice to not be paying hosting costs out of pocket um it's nice to know there are people out there who like the show enough, who think it's worth money and are able to provide money as well. We, we definitely don't discount those of you who may just not be able to give us money. And that's perfectly OK. We're happy to provide this free podcast for those people. Uh, and we're just thankful that you listen at all. So once again, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we, we couldn't be happier to continue doing this show for everybody. Well, that being said, let's dive into our first episode of discussion today, Frame Toby. It aired on November 20th, 2008, was directed by Jason Reitman, and was written by Mindy Kalig. After leaving for Costa Rica at the end of season four in the episode Goodbye Toby, Toby Flenderson is back in the vacant HR spot left by Holly Flax, and Michael is not happy about it. And he makes that very clear. He and Dwight brainstorm different ways to get Toby fired, eventually settling on framing him with the planting of drugs. Meanwhile, Pam is also not happy after finding the kitchen's microwave in a pretty messy state, leaving a note expressing her disappointment, which sparks a bit of a rebellion amidst the other members of the office. And in the end, Jim has a surprise for Pam, and we'll leave that surprise all in, all in due time. We get one of the most gifable, jiffable, whatever you want to call it, moments. Uh, we had a recent one as well, but... Um... Oh, God, no, please, no. (laughs) Um, I think even if you have not watched The Office, you've probably seen that GIF on the internet. It is 
one of my favorites that I use frequently, and we get it in this episode, um, which is hilarious and, of course, makes me ask the question, how did Michael go a week without noticing that Toby was in his office? A week. (laughs) That is a really good question. The moment itself is so funny, but what I really noticed this time watching it for the purposes of the podcast, which we both know is a lot more intense than just a casual viewing, uh, the comedic timing is so fantastic in Steve Carell in those opening moments. First off, he's he's in the conference room with everybody else. There's brownies, Angela's uh, chastising Kevin for eating so many, and then Angela has her own little thing about her dieting, uh, which, by the way, we should mention that there is an extended version of this episode on the DVD versus what is on Netflix. So there might be a few small details that we mentioned that you don't know of, and that's why we're here and why we're using the DVDs. <laughs> uh, but then th- there's references to Toby. Ke- Kelly says, I'm going to grab this brownie for Toby, and I'm going to take it back to him. And Michael's like, oh, yeah, you're, you're crazy. You take it back to Toby? Why don't you just mail it to him? Because he's in Costa Rica, duh. And Jim starts trying to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, Michael, you really don't know that Toby is actually here. Why don't you, why don't you go back to the annex and just meander a bit? And Michael humors him. He says, why not for old time's sake? And he goes back there and thinks that Jim is pulling his leg because there's no Toby in sight. But then he turns around and Toby is there and his face just drops. And it's like an instant change in his demeanor. And it goes straight into that, oh, God, please no. And it's just so funny watching the, the emotions leading up to that moment and then the moment itself having that great payoff. I think he's almost stumped for a second when Kelly's like, yeah, I'm going to go take this back. And Jim's like, you don't know. Toby's back. And Michael's like, wait, no. Like he, I, I feel like it briefly crosses his mind that what if this is true? And then Jim says, all right, yeah, go, go take a walk. And Michael kind of, okay, to humor you, yeah, let's go take a walk. Like he's a little patronizing. Like, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> and then he goes and... Um, as you said, his face just completely melts. And of course, having that yelled at you, um, Toby has got to feel really welcomed back. But everyone has said their hellos already. He has been back a week. I get that he works in the annex in the back of the office, but like clearly Michael doesn't ever go back there because uh, it's been a week. So yeah, Toby's back from Costa Rica to a warm welcome for Michael. He takes... Uh, Pam and Dwight into his office and blames them for him not knowing. Uh, He says, I cannot be expected to keep up with all the personnel in my office. (laughs) Yes, I I can't expect to do that because you are the manager of this office. It is literally your job. He says, there are too many people of all different shapes and sizes and there's nothing even vaguely interesting about the way he looks. So I'm off the hook. (laughs) Right. No, it's not how that works. Yeah, yeah. And Dwight, uh, Dwight actually says, we're frankly concerned that you haven't realized this after a week. Do you have brain damage? Have you poked yourself too hard in the head with the toothpick or a Q-tip again? Uh, well, a toothpick would be real bad. But <laughs> We're Q-tip. really concerning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael's response to that is, you know, maybe I just block him out of my mind like, like a molestation victim doesn't remember the event for years. That's not what happens. Uh, and then he says, he, he calls that toxic shock syndrome. Also, not what that is. Not what that is. No, don't look it up yourselves, everybody. Um, (laughs) But I I think the phrase he was looking for was PTSD. That's the one. Uh, (laughs) But then Dwight says maybe it's Stockholm Syndrome. No. Stockholm Syndrome is like uh, Beauty and the Beast, where you fall for your captor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Pam, just sort of playing along and joking around, says China Syndrome. And I didn't expect this to be a thing, but it kind of is. It's also not correct, but uh, China China syndrome is like this fantasy notion that if there was a nuclear meltdown, there'd be nothing to stop the fallout melting all the way to the other side of the world, i.e. China. Mm. So that's what the China syndrome is. Just a a fun fact. (laughs) They, well, when I say they, Pam was not a part of this, but Michael and Dwight decide that Toby's got to go. So they, as you said in your summary, start brainstorming ways to get rid of Toby. They first think of sexual harassment. Maybe they can peg him for sexually harassing somebody. So Dwight decides that he will be the bait. 
because what better way to entrap a straight man than using a, a man? Um, men find me attractive. <laughs> <laughs> he, they, they, yeah, he says, men find me desirable. It's a good day, too. I'm wearing my mustard shirt. Well, yes, you <laughs> are wearing your mustard day. shirt. <laughs> you always wear your mustard shirt. Um, and he's so cute. He, like, unbuttons his top button and just, like, tries to get all sexy for Toby. Um, but Michael even realizes, no, that's not going to work. Like, if anybody, we would... What does he say? If anybody, we would use Ryan. Oh, does he say Ryan? He would say Jim or Ryan Jim or me. or Ryan or me. Right. Yeah. Um... And then they decide, okay, maybe a man's not going to work. Um, so Michael asks Pam to hand Toby a note without reading it and to have whatever reaction comes to her naturally. <laughs> Pam says, okay. So she grabs the note and, of course, reads it immediately. And the note reads, please hug and kiss me no matter how hard I struggle. I'm too shy to tell you that I love you. Uh. Which is just creepy. Um, and so, of course, Pam refuses. And then Michael tries to get Toby to hit on him. By, like, flirting with him. It's just, he's very desperate to uh, to get Toby to do anything inappropriate. Yeah, he tries to get Toby to literally hit on him. To, yes, uh, that to too. To <laughs> get angry and punch him. Uh, he goes in there, and this is right after, uh, there's a moment where after Michael has talked to David Wallace, uh, and David says, you have to get along with Toby, you 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 have to have a cause to fire him. And he says, I have cause, it is because <laughs> I hate him. Uh, but after that, he goes to the annex and tries to be buddy buddy with Toby. I mean, and I have to ask this question at this point: What is it about Toby that Michael disposes so much? We've asked this question before. We've tried to figure it out. But in that scene where he's trying to be Toby's friend, there's nothing happening there. Like Toby's not trying to stop Michael from doing anything. They're having what to most people would be a normal conversation, right? Right. So is it because Toby's so like milk toast and unremarkable? But if if that's the case, how is that different than really anyone else in the office? None of these people are remarkable people. They work in a paper sales office and that's okay. It's okay that's to not the be whole, remarkable. Like, point of this yeah. documentary, right? Is to yeah. do average lives, see what average lives do every day. <sighs> and we talked about this. I don't know, a season or two ago, and we couldn't think of anything then. I don't know why Michael hates him so much. I think we probably all have, many of us have a person that you just don't like for some particular reason, and there's no, you can't peg it. And I think that might just be Toby for Michael. Um, but of course, Toby has no ill feelings towards Michael, necessarily. At least none that he voices. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know why he doesn't like him. I don't know. It's so strange. And I'm sure we'll ask that question again before the run of the show is over. But it, it's it's just hard to put a specific reason on it. And I think that might be part of the joke is that there isn't really a reason. It's just that Toby is HR and Michael doesn't like HR, at least when it's not Holly. And that, right. it might be as simple as that. And we were referenced back in the job when David and Jim are talking and he talks about how he doesn't like his health or HR person either. You remember what I'm talking about? I, I think David makes a specific quip when he's interviewing Jim. Oh, about he's how, like, oh, oh, you'll, you won't like, Ke uh, what's his name? Kendall or somebody. Yeah. Kendall. Uh, I, he's that like, sounds right. Th he's the only guy in the office. You won't like, Ugh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think so it's the job. Maybe it's yeah. just, yeah, it might just be the joke that you don't like the HR person at your branch. And that's just the way it is. Right. But, Regardless of reason, they ultimately decide to frame him for using drugs. Michael buys big, huge air quotes here, drugs from the Vance Refrigeration like warehouse guys. And we learn later that it was actually Caprese salad. There are still pieces of mozzarella cheese in the Ziploc bag. and Salad dressing. <laughs> salad dressing, into my very uneducated opinion. Um, marijuana looks nothing like basil, but, <laughs> um, probably not in full leaves and covered in olive oil, but Michael clearly has never bought drugs before because he's just the most like <laughs> hush hush, like I hear you guys, uh, deal, uh, I need dr drugs. <laughs> he's like, yeah. 
he even says, I'm not wearing a wire. Like, why Why would you say that? Now we think you're wearing a wire. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> and so, of course, for, what is it? Um, $500, they sell him a half-eaten bag of Caprese salad. Do you think he had $500 cash on him already? And if so, why? Or did he maybe visit the ATM <laughs> in anticipation of buying drugs? I don't know. I wouldn't put it past Michael to be the guy that either never has cash in his wallet or carries around like $1,000 of cash in his wallet just yeah. in case. Either would fly, in my opinion. Yeah. Fun fact, I'm pretty sure the guys who play the the drug dealers from Vance Refrigeration are Gene Stipnitsky and Lee Eisenberg. I think you're who right, are yeah frequent writers and they're listed as co-producers or executive producers on the show in the opening credits during this season. Uh, so they, they're very involved in the office and it's not the first time we've seen them either. We saw them back in drug testing, incidentally, I think, um, in the parking lot. Like, wasn't it hinted that it was their, yeah, their joint I, that was in the parking lot anyways? Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's funny. They, they probably are not, if not dealers, users, yeah. but, uh, Michael just doesn't know what he's doing. And it's very obvious that he doesn't know. He's so out of his element. Yeah. Now, leading up to the the idea of framing Toby, it was actually Dwight's idea, which going back to drug testing is, uh, it's a surprising thing because back in drug testing, Jim says the only thing more dangerous than doing drugs is Jim or is Dwight finding uh, a joint in the parking lot. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet it's Dwight's idea to, do something illegal to frame Toby. And what's interesting about this is it comes right after Michael has says, uh, has said, you've done nothing helpful all day. When we've seen Dwight's been nothing but helpful to Michael all day. So do you think he jumped to an extreme uh, idea to please Michael, to get results to please Michael? The idea of, of framing Toby for drugs, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I... There's not a lot, I feel like, that would make Dwight break rules, except for pleasing Michael. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dwight was a volunteer sheriff, so I feel like breaking the law would be against his moral code, but we know that his moral code is pretty skewed as it is, but he, I don't know, we, we've seen him be a big fan of rules and adhering to guidelines, but I feel like if something were to make him break the rules, it would be Michael. So yeah, I, I think he just wanted to please Michael so badly that he did this awful, <laughs> um, illegal thing. When when he calls in the tip uh, to the police, he says, I've risked so much to get this information to you. My name is Andy Bernard. Andrew <laughs> yeah. Bernard is my name. <laughs> like You've risked nothing because you just gave a fake name. That's okay. <laughs> so... Should move on to Jim and Pam a little bit. Well, Pam, Pam specifically, as you said, Pam found um, the microwave a big mess. It was covered in food, caked on, uh, pretty gross. But Pam is pretty new back to the office since her time in New York, and she uses this opportunity to kind of re-establish herself in the office after a few months away, which I think is interesting. She was not very popular for leaving this note. So she left a note on the microwave saying, this is disgusting. Like, we're not maids. Clean up after yourself. Um, but she didn't sign her name to it. And so the idea of leaving this this note kind of got under people's skin. And they thought it was very haughty, very um, holier than thou that she would or that someone would write this note. I think it's interesting, too. Um, I'm always a big fan of, you know, sign your name. If you have something to say, say it as yourself. Don't leave anonymous notes. So that kind of bugged me. I have to say that she, like, wouldn't claim that she wrote this note. But I'm a Pam fan, so I can't mm-hmm. be too <laughs> too frustrated at her. But I think it's interesting that she used that as sort of her first move back in Scranton. It's Andy and Oscar specifically who says that it's such a holier-than-thou note, and they say it's more obnoxious than the mess itself. So you you just said, at least as far as her anonymity is concerned, it bothers you. Do you agree that it's more obnoxious than the mess? Um, I don't know. The mess is pretty gross. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Um, 
I, I was just, do we think she's in the right? Or maybe to phrase it better, did she approach this the right way? And maybe the answer is no, she should have just said it or at least signed her name to the note so that people don't take it as such a passive aggressive kind of thing. Right. I think if this was me, I would have either been like, guys, this is really gross. Let's clean up after ourselves or sign my name. Um, I don't think that it's more obnoxious than the mess because clearly that had been going on for a long time. It was pretty gross. Um, and it's no one's one responsibility. They don't have a maid to clean up. So it's a, it's a team effort to keep things clean. I don't think it's more obnoxious than the mess, but I'm not a fan of the note. I have to side yeah. with, with them at this point with, uh, with the guys. And this is something that I think we get in the extended version on the DVD is we actually see there's lots of notes that yeah. are written. I, I don't think that's in the original episode. I didn't remember mm-hmm. it at least, but there's like a whole slew of notes and we don't get close-ups of all of them, but there's one who sounds like it might be from Creed, honestly, uh, where the, they start to threaten to beat somebody up over yeah. this mess. Um, I don't know for sure, but th- there's notes all over where the microwave is by the end of the episode. And something else that doesn't happen in the Netflix version is that she confesses to everyone that mm-hmm. she wrote it. Um, and everyone turns against her. Uh, they make jabs at her being in New York for three months. Oscar calls her anonymity cowardly, which flashback to me to business school at Pam's art show when she overheard Oscar and Gil talk about how courage and honesty aren't her strong points. So Oscar's reiterating something to her that she's heard from him before, even though he didn't know it. And then Stanley says, well, if you're so bothered by it, it would have just taken less time to clean it up rather than to write all the notes, which is a fair point. Um, And then Meredith says, yeah, I have a part-time job as a maid and I'm not going to do it at work too. (laughs) So, uh, Lots of backlash against Pam in regards to this note, even once she confesses to it actually being her. And it feels almost silly to have this be such a big talking point because it's really not that big of a deal. Like, it's just, we don't see Pam do anything unsavory ever. And so seeing her do one little, fairly, you know, mildly passive-aggressive thing, it's like a huge deal because it's just the first, one of the first, um, imperfect things we've seen her do she's always been like this just great humble girl next door talented you know blah 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 um and so every once in a while we see her do something a little human (laughs) and this is one of those times i do love the moment before her confession when ryan approaches her he says you know i'm totally on your side about this note but you know eventually somebody is going to have to step in and just clean up the mess (laughs) And she says, well, I guess that's why we have a temp, (laughs) because he is heavily insinuating, hey, Pam, just go clean up the microwave. Uh, But she's got a point. He's the guy there doing temporary work. Uh, He's the guy who embezzled, well, not embezzled, he committed fraud for the company and lost him tons of money. So, yeah, why shouldn't Ryan be the one just designated to go clean up the microwave? But he says, you know, I'd only make it worse. (laughs) You've seen things clean, though, right? You know what it should look like? So, yeah. He, How could a paper towel make it worse? <laughs> um, and then also regarding Pam, Jim has a surprise for Pam, as you alluded. Um, he wants to make a stop on their way home from work. Um, he wants to stop by his parents' house. And Pam says, why are we here? What are we doing? And he asks her to close her eyes, turn around, and open her eyes. He says, I bought it for us. Um, We don't get much out of Pam. We walk through the house. We see the bedrooms. We see, you know, the bathroom, whatever. See the garage that he wants to turn into an art studio. And we finally get... He kind of breaks down. He's like, look, I'm sorry. I know I didn't talk to you about this. But I just wanted to do it for us, for our future. And we finally see Pam say, it's okay because I love it. She's so thrilled that um, Jim made this huge grand gesture for her. Um, It's not, you know, a dream house. It's a starter house, but it's the house Jim grew up in, and it's something they can afford, and I think it's a really responsible step. You know, I feel like a lot of people go out and buy something that they can't necessarily afford, and this was um, a step for their future, and Pam saw it that way too. 
I agree. I personally think it's a really sweet moment. It's not something I think that I would ever do. I think I would have that discussion with my significant other. But I think that Jim was being thoughtful in his approach, at least. I mean, he he knew this was helping his parents. It was saving him and Pam money. It was a step, like you just said, a step forward into their future together, their lifetime together. And then the little things he does, like starting to convert the garage into an art studio with some of her art already hanging up and prepped and ready. I think it's great. And I know that this is sort of a thing that some people in the office fan community point to as a jerk move on Jim's part. And I get that to a certain extent, but I don't think it's necessarily unfair of Jim to do this. I I think that maybe there should have been some sort of communication or at least, hey, I've made steps into buying this. And is this something you're okay with rather than just full on purchasing it? But still, I I don't think that he's necessarily in the wrong here because it was sort of a grand romantic gesture. And I'm trying to think about like real world stuff. I feel like this happens. I feel like, you know, hey, I got a really good deal. Like I bought us a house, you know, like it, I feel like this stuff happens. I don't think it makes him a jerk. I think it makes him, I mean, it's a romantic move. If it had gone badly, that would be a whole different conversation and that would, you know, really suck. But luckily it went well and we don't have to necessarily worry about what would have happened. Um, but it it could have gone really poorly, and which would have made him look more like a jerk. But I think he was in the clear in this. Yeah, I mean, it was pragmatic. It, it was, and like you said, it's something that probably didn't cost a whole lot of money. And so it's a place where they can start saving for the next one, for maybe the 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 real home that they settle in for the rest of their lives. But this is that good first step. Um, there's a moment between Ryan and Kelly that I wanted to highlight because it explains Ryan's absence in the future. Uh, We see them making out a couple of times only for him to break it off at the end. He says, this is unfair to both of us, but especially me. And he says, I'm going to break, I'm breaking up with you because I'm going on a trip to Thailand with friends from uh, my high school or a high school. (laughs) Uh, So let's have sex one more time. And then I'll take any extra cash you may have. And that's it. And she just says, okay, (laughs) she goes along with it. But this, he says, um, or no, rather she says, I broke up with Daryl to be with you. And he says, that was your decision. Don't put that on me. He literally typed up the breakup text and pressed send for her. It was literally him that did the breaking up. And now one, two episodes later, he's ending it so that he can go off and live this fantasy in Thailand or whatever. Ugh, Ryan. <laughs> He's just the worst. He's I have the worst. that exact same moment written down because I'm like, no, you didn't break up for Daryl. You didn't break up with Daryl for him. He broke up with Daryl for him. <laughs> like, yeah. He made that decision for Kelly and he's making this decision for Kelly. And don't worry, we'll have sex one last time. Also for me. <laughs> like, it's just... And then he's going to take her cash on top of it. It's just so... Yeah manipulative and gross and i feel like here's i mean we got gross ryan before when he was exec but this to me we are entering the epitome of gross ryan this is (laughs) just sleazy like i don't know yeah let's have sex one more time before i break up with you it's like i just did but goodbye like yeah. yeah no thanks uh a couple small things regarding andy and angela um Andy caught wind of Jim's transaction to buy the house before he told anybody. Uh, Andy says, so are you still buying your parents' house? Is that still a thing? Jim says, yeah, but uh, I didn't tell you that. How did you know? He says, oh, uh, saw it on your computer in a couple of emails as I walked by. No, that, that is not what happened. You stopped and you read his emails is what happened. There's no way you just casually see that as you're walking by. And then when Jim says, well, I haven't told Pam yet, so keep it on the down low. Andy says, you better watch out. Angela and I have no secrets. <laughs> Hate to break it to you, Andy, yeah. but uh, there, yes, there's some do. secrets there. And yeah. Angela is dieting, apparently, because gross childhood pageant memories. Uh, she was apparently Miss Tiny Mid-Atlantic Bride, which sounds awful. She wants to fit Ugh. into a child-size wedding gown. 
No. Those should now not she wore be a when thing. she was 10. Yeah, should not be a thing. Like, In fact, Jim asks, why is that a thing? Why is that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> the whole bride situation. Mm, there's so many questions. And I'm not well versed enough in the um, child pageant child pageant life, which I have to say I'm glad I am not well versed in it. But I hope that's not a thing. Oh, I, hope I don't not. know. That sounds awful. <laughs> that's really scary. Anyway, um, she fit into a child size wedding dress when she was ten, and she's trying to fit back into it, I guess, for her wedding. So she's dieting, and the whole series we've just seen her talk about how tiny she is. So. She's trying to get tinier, apparently. Uh, ready for funny moments? Yes, please. Okay, I, I love starting off. Uh, Michael takes two brownies. He says, I'm going to parcel these up and eat them at my leisure later on because it's healthier. No, two brownies is two brownies, <laughs> no matter when you eat them. <laughs> now or later, one now, one later, it's two brownies. Those are the same <laughs> amount of calories, no matter what. Um, when the cops come to investigate the drug situation with with Toby Creed of course freaks out um we have a talking head with him and he says let's just pretend like we're talking until the cops leave (laughs) (laughs) when they first walk in he looks like he can't figure out whether to put his hands on his head or just sort of like chill out and play it cool (laughs) it's it's a pretty funny moment and there's another Creed moment where uh Andy has just let slip that Jim is buying his parents' house. And he says, yeah, it's over by the quarry. Um, And Creed says, cool beans, man. I live by the quarry. We should hang out by the quarry and throw things down there. (laughs) Throw things down there. That's the part that makes me laugh the most. (laughs) Jim's face, just like, oh, where where am I buying this house? Um, I have to live near that guy. Michael says that Toby made liars out out of all of them because they all thought that he was leaving. Toby says, well, I did leave. I'm just back. Um, and then Michael says, do you want to hear a lie? I think you're great. You're my best friend. <laughs> and he, uh, he's just so, oh, he's just so mean to Toby, but it's, he it's is. never not funny. That's yeah. not true. It's probably not funny sometimes, but it's continually <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah. Toby has a rough go of things this episode. Yes. Uh, lots of, lots of not great things happen to him. Yeah. Uh, Including the moment when Michael's he he turns to the camera and addresses it directly and says, "Are you ready to see some real high quality acting?" He says, "Well, watch out, Kurt Russell." I just love that he calls out Kurt Russell <laughs> as like the the epitome of great acting or high quality acting. He's fine, but he's, he's on no he's on nobody's list of best actors of all time. <laughs> Maybe favorite actors. That's that's a different thing. That's but different. Best actors, no. No, you he's can not. totally like a bad actor. That's fine. <laughs> Guilty pleasures are fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he goes and he tries to play nice with Toby. Um, Angela, regarding the microwave note, Angela says that note was very snobby and it was rude, and she wishes she had written it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. It sounds like her. Yeah. This is in the extended cut of the DVD, by the way. Right. Uh, Dwight, I, I love this quote from him. He says, I love catching people in the act. That's why I always whip open doors. <laughs> I can just imagine the visual there is pretty great. Um, I believe it's the last scene of the episode. We get Dwight's perfect crime. Here is his little monologue. He says, I break into Tiffany's at midnight. Do I go for the vault? No, I go for the chandelier. It's priceless. As I'm taking it down, a woman catches me. She tells me to stop. It's your father's business. She's Tiffany. I say no. We make love all night. In the morning, the cops come and I escape in one of their uniforms. How did he get their uniform? I tell her to meet me in Mexico, but I go to Canada. I don't trust her. Besides, I like the cold. 30 years later, I get a postcard. I have a son and he's the chief of police. This is where the story gets interesting. I tell Tiffany to meet me in Paris by the, oh goodness, by the... Trocadero. Trocadero. Okay, I'm educated. It's fine. <laughs> She's been waiting for me all these years. She's never taken another another lover. I don't care. I don't show up. I go to Berlin. That's where I've stashed the chandelier. Oh, I'm glad you posted and read the whole thing because I was going to do the same thing if you hadn't. So <laughs> it's worth it's worth memorizing. Nearly. It's it's just yeah. so good. And he's clearly thought through it. He he doesn't take a beat. He's basically memorized this. Um, 
I mean, he's just, he's thought about this perfect crime. <laughs> I don't really have much else <laughs> to so say. Many questions, I think it speaks yeah. for itself in a lot of ways. And in other yeah. ways, it does not at all. <laughs> just um, like Dwight. <laughs> yeah. One more moment for me. Uh, Phyllis uh, says, you know, Jim, Bob bought our house without consulting me, and I love it. One of the things she loves about it is that it has a maze in the back, like The Shining. Now, if you've seen The Shining, yeah, there's a maze, but not happy things happen in there. So that would not be that, that, that would not be like a selling point for a house. It has a shining like maze in the back. No. <laughs> yeah. People die in there. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> funny, Phyllis. Yeah. We do get a couple of deleted scenes for this episode. Not a, not many. I really just have two to mention. One, Michael is hit on by Meredith a second time. I guess the first is in, is it Benny Hanna Christmas where she flashes him? No, that's one of the Christmas episodes. Yeah. It's the very first one back in season two. Yeah. It's that one where she um, flashes him and he takes a picture. And then here he says, sorry, here she says, I got a new blanket in my TV room. If you ever want to come over, not a whole lot, but worth noting that she hit on Michael again. Right, and then the other one is uh, Dwight distracts Toby by asking to see photos from Costa Rica, and he's other otherwise completely uninterested and distracted while watching Michael go do his thing. Um, and that's while Michael goes and co- he, he pl- plants a caprese, sal- I mean weed, <laughs> uh, and then when he returns to his office, Michael is just sweating up a storm. I mean, we know that, my, uh, that, that Steve Carell has a sort of penchant for just sweating a whole bunch, and so they always keep it really cold in the, on set whenever they recorded, uh, but he's extremely sweaty, which maybe hints that he's extremely nervous about this going <laughs> wrong. I don't know. And then I have our discussion topic for this episode. I want to know why you think Michael tried to call the interrogation of Toby off. We see when the cops come in, Michael's whole demeanor changes. And he sticks up for Toby. He says, no, 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 that's not his. I put that there. Or that's mine, rather. Um, And then as soon as the cops leave, he returns to his normal hate of Toby. What was that, do you think? I'm not sure, to be honest. I don't know if it's him feeling guilty for framing Toby. Like, yeah, he hates Toby, but is it worth sending him to prison over? I don't know if if that's it, or maybe it's just the fear of being caught all of a sudden. But if that was the case, then maybe he wouldn't have confessed uh, to it being his. So, I don't know, it's tough to say. I, I, I think it's maybe just a moment of compassion, moment of common sense dare i say michael scott having common sense you know i don't like this guy but i can't send him into prison just because i don't like him and that's sort of what it amounts to yeah i tend to agree with you i forget what he says um when the cops first come in and they start walking to the back and they pass by michael and he like looks him up and down and he goes wow he says something about like there are cops here or something like that mm-hmm. and i i think the idea of real cops with real guns standing in his office is like oh i called the cops on toby like yeah (laughs) this is actually happening law enforcement is involved and there are officials here and it just kind of freaked him out and um i think he realized that maybe he was a bit too extreme in his um like endeavor to get toby out it's almost like in launch party when he kidnaps a pizza kid because he doesn't get what he wants and then he realizes later in the episode, holy crap, I just kidnapped a kid. I could go yeah. to prison for this. Let's give him what he wants. Uh, right. It's just that change of heart where he realizes, oh, I really crossed the line here. Right. And he does have those moments, to his credit. It just, they just come a little bit too late most of the time. And then as soon as the cops leave, it's, it's back to, okay, well, this isn't illegal, so I'll hate you. <laughs> right. Is yeah. it illegal to put crazy salad in people's desks? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. <laughs> no. It's not illegal to put crazy salad anywhere, but what is illegal is a fake tip. Yeah. Michael. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and go on to our next episode, The Surplus. It aired on December 4th of 2008 and was directed by frequent director uh, Paul Feig and written by the men I mentioned earlier, Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stepnitsky. Dunder Mifflin Scranton has a budget surplus. 
Michael lets the office decide what they need more, a new copier or new desk chairs. The whole office tries to sway Michael to their team by being overly nice to him all day long. Meanwhile, Dwight shows Angela and Andy Shroot Farms and tries to give them some plans for their wedding. But Dwight manages to marry himself to Angela during the tour right in front of Andy. Which is like the ultimate symbolic gesture of what's been going on between the three of them this whole time. You know, yeah. with with Andy and Angela being engaged, but her sleeping with Dwight the whole time. Why not just take it the next step and get married right in front of Andy without him having a clue what's going on? It's ridiculous. It's kind of genius. It is. And it's it's because it's all done in German. Of course, he has <laughs> the um, his German um, Mennonite. Mennonite uh, yeah. uh, pastor or whoever. Priest. Um, priest, yeah. So Andy has no idea what's going on. Signs what was a uh, witness. Their marriage certificate, right, as yeah. a witness? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he signed it as a witness. He thought he was signing... Um, receipt. Having, <laughs> thank you, a receipt. Um, but it was, in fact, their marriage license. I know about things. So yeah, Dwight just married himself to Angela right in front of Andy. And um, by the end of the episode, Andy still doesn't know. No. Just like their relationship. He has no idea what's going on. So very symbolic, very shocking. Right. And Andy doesn't know it's happening, but it's important to note that Angela has no idea either. It's not like they colluded and did this together. Dwight did this. And then after the fact says, oh, by the way, that was a real thing. We're married now. Congrats, Mrs. Schrute. Uh, but right before that reveal, she says, you know, I confess that I picked the wrong person. I should have picked you over Andy. And Twice says, I know. And that's why I just got, got us married. Congrats. And so right after that, she says, wait a second. No, that's not real. You can't do this. And it completely changes her mind because back at the office, when they've returned from Shroot Farms, she goes up to Andy, who, uh, funny enough, has just bitten into a tuna fish sandwich. Uh, so not the most pleasant of breath, uh, most pleasant breath he probably has ever had, but she just like jumps on him and flat out kisses him in front of everybody else. That's the most PDA we've seen from Angela in the entire run of the show so far. Uh, so what Dwight did again, just like killing sprinkles, this seems to have turned her away from him again. Yeah. I call that her revenge making out with Andy because she as you said, she admitted to Dwight that she picked the wrong person. And had he not just, you know, married her without her knowledge, maybe she would have gone back to him. Maybe she, I mean, maybe would have broken up with Andy or at least ended her ending of the affair. Maybe she would have gone back to Dwight, at least physically. Um, not that I condone cheating on your fiance, but she may have started up a relationship again with Dwight. But this just totally is inappropriate for her. And um, she feels very taken advantage of, which she was. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine tricking someone into marrying you. But Dwight feels like he's doing her a favor and doing the right thing for her, which clearly was not the case. But I feel like in his head, it might have been what he thought she wanted. I, I guess that's what he thought. And, you know, this whole time he's giving them a tour of Shroot Farms and sort of what their experience the day of the wedding is going to be. And Andy, at this point, he says, you know, I've made 12 deposits on 12 different places. I've lost eight of them. We're getting married at Shroot Farms no matter what. I, I'm not going to lose another deposit. And so throughout the episode, Dwight says, or he said, he's giving the option of a butter sculpture in the shape of a goat, a cow, or I don't remember what else, but something else that you can milk. And Angela says, well, I want a cat sculpture. And Dwight says, you don't milk a cat. She says, I know, but can I not have a cow butter sculpture of a cat? And Dwight says, that doesn't make any sense. And Andy steps in, stop fighting. Could we get the cat sculpture if I just pay more money? And that's his, his solution to all of this. It's almost like Dwight is stirring controversy and picking fights with the anticipation of Andy giving him more money leading up to this this marriage ceremony he's orchestrated and stealing Angela away from him. So Dwight is playing Andy like a fiddle the whole episode, and it really sucks for Andy. Moving on to the uh, surplus, the chairs and the copier. Um, it's about half and half. The team has divided 
But notably, Pam is super team chair and Jim is team copier. And so they have a little fairly innocent rivalry going on in this episode. (laughs) It's playful, but it's also a little feisty. So the office takes sides. Oscar and Jim decide to take Michael out to lunch, which is huge uh, because they don't do that with Michael. And they laugh the whole time. Everyone's being super friendly to Michael. Pam wears red lipstick and flirts with Michael, calls him the hot tie guy. So everyone's just being really fun with Michael all day long to try to get him uh, on their side. Yeah, everybody knows how to play Michael like a fiddle. When Oscar first mentions the surplus to Michael, he smartly tells him what he thinks the money should be spent on. We should be spending this on a new copier. That's what we need. We got the money for it. Boom, that's it. Because he knows that Michael has problems making decisions. We saw that back in healthcare in season one. Mm -hmm. Michael's always had problems making decisions when it came to, or Halloween in uh, uh, season two, when he had to fire somebody. But because Michael is Michael, he feels the need to make announcements and make a show of everything. So he tells everybody, okay, we've got a surplus and we are buying a copier. Yay, hooray. That's what we're doing. And then Pam says, well, what about chairs? And there's our conflict. No, don't give Michael options. (laughs) Right. There's different people with different opinions. You want different things. And with everyone treating Michael so nice, that only makes it harder for him because that means the disappointment is going to be greater because everybody's working so hard to get what they want. So not wanting to upset anybody, he brings Hank in, which, by the way, uh, Hugh Dane recently passed away. We just got news of it a couple of days ago, but it actually happened back on May 16th. And he's the guy who plays Hank. So rest in peace to him. Uh, but he's great in this episode. He's really funny. Uh, Michael brings him up for his sage advice to decide for him, to make the decision for him, because that's what Michael does is he forces decisions on other people so he doesn't have to be the bad guy. And Hank is no help. (laughs) He he can't make the decision either because, honestly, they do need both things. They just don't have the money for both things. So it's hard to choose one over the other, even though he's an impartial third party. Irrelevant third party. He will benefit from neither of these things. Michael doesn't care who makes it his, his decisions as long as it's not him. I just put Michael once again, unable to complete his managerial duty. This is your yeah. job. Pick it. Ugh. And he calls David Wallace to ask for him to decide, which defeats the entire purpose of this analogy or scenario that Oscar has given him of this lemonade stand. The idea is to spend the surplus so that your parents or your CFO, your chief financial officer, don't know that you have extra money. So he's all kinds of mixed up. And of course, telling David, David says, well, just take the bonus. Just turn in the money. You get a bonus from it. A whole $645. It's a whole lot of extra money in your wallet in exchange for not getting things that your office needs. But that's what Michael goes for. And Oscar knew this ahead of time. And so he's able to call Michael out. He says, does anybody happen to know what 15% of 4,300 is? Michael says, uh, $645. Why do you say dollars? That's just the way my mind works. Uh, is it? <laughs> is it? What's 15% of 200, Michael? Uh, <laughs> no. And then he tries to um, kind of renege. He says, I don't need $645. I have $645, more or less. <laughs> more or less. <laughs> and we know that Michael has had money problems, and there's no way... He's completely out of the debt that we saw back in money in season four. So why is his first impulse with a bonus to spend it immediately on a fur coat of all things rather than save it or use it to pay off some debt? Like that would be the sensible thing to do. But I think I just answered my own question in using the word sensible when talking about Michael Scott. Yeah, that was silly. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. And Michael, in the end, of course, decides to let them decide, um, because, again, he's not going to make his own decisions. He sticks them in a room and makes them choose. Otherwise, he's taking the bonus. So he said, either you guys come up with the answer or I take the money. No harm, no foul. So it really happens very quickly. They decide on the chairs. Oscar says, I'd rather have new chairs than nothing at all. And Michael's super bummed about it. He really yeah. did want the money. <laughs> he didn't expect them to make a decision, but he doesn't realize that nobody else is as bad as making decisions as he is. <laughs> exactly. Oscar's right. Like, Pam's not going to budge. Okay, let's get new chairs because we need those as well. Michael really did want that 
650 or 645. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I probably would have picked chairs as well. Uh, sitting in a crappy chair is awful. Yeah. And I would use that a lot more than a copy machine, however awful <laughs> that is. You mentioned the sort of rivalry between Pam and Jim, and I just wanted to focus on that a tiny bit. She approaches Jim and says, you're on very dangerous ground. And she gets right up in his face and just sort of like whispers at him before she kisses. <laughs> and it's like, it's almost like she's threatening withholding sex, sort of, is what it seems, sort of the vibe I get from it, you know, like, you better watch out, Mr. Halpert. I love you, but you're on very dangerous ground. <laughs> and so that, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is that you want some of this, you better go along with me. Better be careful. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's flirty and it's fun, but there is a hint of like, I think it's just a talking head of Jim just shivering, right? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> it just cuts away to him. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, ice. <laughs> yeah. She gets a little, a little vicious, but it's, it's fun. They have a, they have a fun time sort of playing back and forth. Jim, his like attack is taking Michael out to lunch and they have a great time and, you know, or at least Michael does. And they come in laughing and, oh, we had such a great time. And they're laughing at Michael's jokes, which no one does. And Jim brought Pam back some tiramisu and she opens it up. She goes, oh, that's good stuff. And she just dumps it right in the trash. Oh, that made me so sad. I love tiramisu. I know. <laughs> anything that's coffee based. I mean, come on. I mean, honestly. And Jim doesn't even say anything. He just says, you look really pretty today. <laughs> like they're just... <laughs> And then she goes and flirts with Michael. Right. She yeah. let her hair down, fluffed it up, put on red lipstick, just for Michael, of course. <laughs> and talks about Michael's butt and just yeah. how good it looks in his pants and his new tie. And it's just really into making Michael feel good about himself because I think Michael would do anything for a pretty woman flirting with him. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a fun little rivalry we get between Jim and Pam. Yeah. And Jim echoes back her initial sort of threat at the very end of the episode when the choice has been made, okay, we're going with new chairs. And he approaches her and says, truce. She says, okay, because I won. He says, you did win. And earlier he had a talking head about how he, ever since they started dating, he didn't want to get Pam to do his copies and he's been doing them himself. And that's why he wants a new copier. Well, all bets are off at the end. Here, I need three copies of this stapled and collated. Have fun. And so he walks off and she's just sort of staring after him and he turns around and says, oh, I'm just kidding. And he goes in just like she did, approaches for the kiss, stops. I'm going to need four. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's so good. Peck. And then he kisses her just, thank you. <laughs> yes, you won. Here's your reward. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. What about funny stuff? We get some... Made up words from Michael. They're always fun. He's talking about the chairs, and the word he's going for, I believe, is ergonomically correct chairs. And he says that they are ergonomically correct. <laughs> Did I do that? <laughs> ergonomics. <laughs> and then I'm trying to remember the context, but he's talking about the x axis, and he says the x axis with three x's. <laughs> yeah, that's at the very start when Oscar is initially showing him the data about the surplus. He says, if you look yes, along the x axis here, Michael says, oh, yes, the x axis. The x axis. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Michael first asks Oscar to explain the surplus to him like he's eight. Explain it to me like I'm eight. And so he talks through it, pretty basic explanation. And he still doesn't understand. So he says, okay, why don't you explain this to me like I'm five? <laughs> like, let's go back developmentally a few years. And so there's the whole lemonade stand analogy, which has always been one of my favorites, especially the moment where Oscar says, so you either spend the extra dollar or next summer, Michael says, I'll be six. <laughs> <laughs> and Oscar says, yes, and they'll only give you $9 because that's all they think it costs. And he still doesn't really seem to fully understand, but he eventually grasps it. And then whenever Hank comes up later, uh, he says, so we have a surplus and a surplus is pretend your mom and dad give you money for a lemonade stand. And Hank interrupts says, I know what a surplus is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Michael goes like, he's such a character guy. Like he, he's such a people person. He identifies with people so much that of course, when Oscar is telling the story and he's five, he assigns Michael, you're five years old. Michael just like takes on that character. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm five. <laughs> Next year, I'm going to be six. Like he's just, <laughs> he engrosses himself into the world so much. I love it. He'd be a great actor. Michael, as you mentioned, buys a fur coat with his bonus check that he doesn't have yet. He has not received the bonus check. And then he 
is walking out of Burlington Coat Factory wearing his coat and gets fake blood poured on him by the PETA people, I guess. And now he can't return it. So he's out probably, what, $500 or something? Yeah, for that $500, $600, I'd assume. Yeah, for this fairly gaudy, big brown coat that he now cannot return. <laughs> he has a quote early in the episode, or maybe midway through. Uh, he says, I swallowed all your ideas. I'm going to digest them and see what comes out the other end. I, I don't mm. want that picture, Michael. Cute. <laughs> <laughs> and then later when Kelly opens the door for him, there's like this whole montage of people around the office doing things for him as he walks through. And Kelly opens the door. He says, ah, chivalry is not dead after all. I mean, I guess chivalry isn't technically yeah. gender specific, <laughs> but that's typically associated with men doing things for women. Uh, like <laughs> Knights of the Round Table. Right. That, that, that's what's associated with chivalry. So it's just funny right. that he assigns that to Kelly instead. Last one for me, I think in Dwight's directions uh, to Shroot Farms for Andy and Angela, he says to walk 156 paces from the light red mailbox and make a left. Walk until you hear the beehive, which a lot of this is assuming that you're just walking to Shroot Farms, which I would assume is in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, walking there from the city of Scranton. I assume that this is more rural. And even they point out, like, this is ridiculous. Who who types up directions this way? Yeah, even Angela agrees. Andy's the one making the complaint, and Angela says, yeah, well, we need to fix this. <laughs> Possibly my favorite tiny moment that you sort of have to really be paying attention to catch it is when Michael is in the kitchen and he's pouring sugar into his diet soda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that for the first time, too. It's so good. It, it, it defeats the purpose entirely, but it, it reminds me of him putting sugar in his scotch back in cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> Where he makes that... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anybody with Splenda? <laughs> and then last one for me. Kevin, after Michael answers Oscar's question, what's 15% of 4,300? Uh, and Michael answers, Kevin exclaims, Michael's a genius. Uh, and then he tries to make him do more complex math. He whips out his calculator, just types random numbers. What's this number times this number? And Michael just sort of sits there and pretends he's calculating, but there's no way he's ever going to get that. It, I just love that Kevin's immediate reaction is, Michael's a genius. It's like a beautiful mind. No commentary for this one either, but we did get a few more deleted scenes. Neither one of these were extensive, though. One of my all-time favorite deleted scenes I think I've seen from this. Yes. Yeah? You too? Yeah, I laughed so hard. It was so good. And this is going to sound bad because I love The Office very much. I'm doing a podcast over it. Like, clearly, I have a problem. <laughs> but I don't laugh out loud a whole lot, especially when I'm watching by myself. But this made me laugh out loud. Jim sends Dwight one of those videos. What are they called? I think there's a name for him, but where there's a relaxing scene in front of you and you're supposed to be watching this scene and then something scary jumps out at you. So Jim says Dwight one of those and Dwight says, I know what this is. Something scary is going to jump out at me. I'm not going to fall for it. Ha ha ha. And Jim's like, man, like you got me. You're totally unscarable. You're totally unscarable. Right. And so Dwight is watching the thing. Sure enough, pops out. Uh, he's like, Wow. I was right. And he turns to Jim's desk and Jim's gone. And he goes, Jim, where are you? And he turns over his other shoulder and Jim pops out <laughs> wearing a scary mask and Dwight's like freaks out and screams. Oh, it's, it is so funny. I watched it multiple times. It's like season one Jim prank. You know, it's just like easy yeah. and it's just classic. Yeah, I bet if they had more time, that probably would have been like the cold open. And then they would have picked up after the, the, the theme with Oscar explaining the surplus to Michael. But they just unfortunately, I guess, didn't have the time because we didn't get a true cold open in this one. Right. Angela and Dwight meet outside in secret. And Dwight is complaining about Andy. He says, I thought you were going to put a muzzle on him. She says, you know, he's not that bad. He's a pretty good singer. And Dwight relents and says, yeah, he's pretty talented. <laughs> and then she points out, he also went to Cornell, which, by the way, did you know Andy went to Cornell? I didn't know Andy. <laughs> did he really? He did. <laughs> Good for him. And then also his ancestors arrived on the Mayflower. Okay. Dwight says, so what? My ancestors arrived on a U-boat, i.e. a German submarine in World War I or II. 
which would have destroyed the Mayflower. And then Angela's offended at this notion. Destroy the Mayflower? Did you hear what you just said? Dwight says, I'm sorry. I can't believe I just said that. (laughs) (laughs) She storms off, locking the door behind her. Whipped. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, in response to everyone being so nice to him all day long, is just loving it. He's eating it up. And he has a, a talking head where he says, when people start sucking up to you, it's easy to get an inflated ego. But I'm not there yet. But I will get there. <laughs> <laughs> but I will get there. <laughs> He's sure of it. Michael in, is in the annex. And Kelly and Kevin and Creed are begging him to do magic for them. And he says, okay, okay. And he does the whole fake thumb hidden handkerchief trick. And he actually fails at it because you actually see a little tuft of it sticking out from under the fake thumb at the end. But nobody cares. They all humor him and applaud and all that kind of stuff. And then Kevin has a talking head about how he figured out that Kelly is just trying to butter Michael up, but he's just excited to see the magic. <laughs> he's he's just there for the show. Yeah. Well, that was a good, good, cheap magic show. <laughs> this one got to me and I don't know why. It's not the best deleted scene, even out of this bunch, but it made me laugh. Andy is at Shroot Farms and he's hosing off his foot again. I think we see in the the main episode once he steps in horse crap or something and he has to hose off a shoe. And again, he's hosing off a shoe because presumably, again, he has stepped in a pile of something. And we see him crying, hosing off his shoe. And he goes, it's just not how I pictured it. There's crap everywhere. (laughs) And it just tickled me. It reminds me of the quote where he says, every little boy imagines his dream wedding when he grows up or whatever <laughs> that exact quote is. And I, I mean, frankly, I don't picture manure being present at my wedding, so I sympathize a little bit. <laughs> or as Jim says, some manure, but not this much <laughs> or whatever he says. Right, right. That, that's true, too. <laughs> Angela is telling Dwight that she wants fish bowls with goldfish in them as centerpieces. Dwight says, well, let's add a piranha. The water turns red. The guests get a show. Win-win. <laughs> <laughs> and Angela says, I don't want any blood at the wedding. Dwight says, darn, well, I guess we have to change the cake then. <laughs> Ugh, not something I want to picture if there's blood on the cake. Yeah. Another one that made me really laugh was Dwight having a talking head with Moe's. And he says, you know, I don't really know anything about wedding planning, but I did try to do some research once. We rented a movie that featured a Latina wedding planner <laughs> with a big can, which wasn't that good. But McConaughey was great, as usual. <laughs> so he's talking about the wedding planner with J-Lo. And uh, he's a Matthew McConaughey fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Moe's is in the background. He just goes, eh, so-so. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and I do have one last one where Michael has a talking head about how the thing that nobody mentions about fun is that at some point it has to end. And then he just sits there looking really sad. <laughs> it's like, I- I've had a really fun day today, but it has to end. Well, darn. Yeah. <laughs> And you have our discussion topic. I do. And it's another question. I feel like I've asked a lot of questions this episode, but that's okay. Is it wrong for the office to manipulate Michael to get what they want, even if they make him feel good in the process? Is it wrong if I say no? (laughs) Like, I mean, I get it. I get why it would be bad, but he knows what they're doing. He says it in the deleted scenes. I, I know I'm beginning sucked up to. Maybe I'm not the shining halo I thought I was, but I don't think it's that bad. (laughs) It's, Uh, it's not ideal, but like Michael knows what's going on. Everyone knows. It's just like kind of friendly and he's having a good time in the process. I don't know. uh. I sort of see both sides. It's hard for me to pick one way or the other. I do think that them making him feel good for a day is a good thing, Mm -hmm. but then what's going to happen the next day or after they've made this decision or maybe the chairs come in and they suck too for some reason, or they really do wish they had a copier. Like what's going to be the outcome of this in the long run is, are they going to continue to treat Michael? Well, are they going to continue to treat him like crap? Like they were before, not necessarily that they were treating him like crap, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, there's not consistency here. And so they literally were only doing it to, to get what they wanted and to, to let it go after that. So, right. I don't know. It's hard to pick one side or the other. I, I don't know. Well, he had a good time either way. So <laughs> a good day for he Michael. Did. And it was a fun episode. I really like the surplus. Yeah, it's a good one. 
Well, that is the end of our official 43rd episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and uh, we will give you a shout-out like our many, many friends today. Or you can email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. Best place to find me is on Twitter at ktlady623. You can also add me uh, at facebook.com slash katie.white. I should mention, uh, shoot me a message if you'd like to add me on Facebook. That way I know that you're a listener and I'd be more than happy to add you. Uh, Otherwise, I don't know who you are. So yeah, shoot me a message and I'll be happy to add you as a friend. And the best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and my other show, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. You can find that where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. All show notes and contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And one more time, shout outs to Greg, Alex, and Elliot for being our newest Patreon subscribers. If you would like a shout out, then all you have to do is go over to our Patreon and that will give you more access to more An American Workplace each week, including discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, live streams, and all you have to do is go there and pick the support level that you think is worth it for you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 43 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 44 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season five, Moroccan Christmas and The Duel. Bye. And cut.